Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Axis Incorporated's Fiscal 2021 Third Quarter Results Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Following the presentation, we will conduct a question-and-answer session. Instructions will be provided at that time for you to queue up for questions. I'd like to remind everyone that this call is being recorded today, Friday, November 5, 2021. I would now like to turn the conference over to Mr. Rick Wadsworth, Vice President of Investor Relations at Canaxis Incorporated. Please go ahead, Mr. Wadsworth. Thanks, Operator. Good morning and welcome to the Canaxis Earnings Call. Today, we will be discussing our third quarter results, which we issued after close of markets yesterday. With me on the call are John Sicard, our President and Chief Executive Officer, and Blaine Fitzgerald, our Chief Financial Officer. Before we get started, I want to emphasize that some of the information discussed in this call is based on information as of today, November 5, 2021, and contains forward-looking statements that involve risks and uncertainties. Actual results may differ materially from those set forth in such statements. For a discussion of these risks and uncertainties, you should review the forward-looking statements disclosure in the earnings press release, as well as in our CDAR filings. During this call, we will discuss IFRS results and non-IFRS financial measures. A reconciliation between IFRS results and non-IFRS financial measures is available in our earnings press release and in our MBA, both of which can be found on the Investor Relations section of our website, canaxis.com, and on CDAR. Participants are advised that the webcast is live and is also being recorded for playback purposes. An archive of the webcast will be made, will be made available on the Investor Relations section of our website. Neither this call nor the webcast archive may be re-recorded or otherwise reproduced or distributed without prior written per- permission from Canaxis. To begin our call, John will discuss the highlights of our quarter as well as recent business developments, followed by Blaine, who will review our financial results and outlook. Finally, John will make some closing statements before opening up the line for questions. We have a presentation to accompany today's call, which can be downloaded from the Investor Relations homepage of our website, canaxis.com. We will let you know when to change slides. I'll now turn the call over to John. Thanks, Rick. Good morning, and thank you for joining us today. I'll start on slide three. I'm very pleased to report another solid quarter of progress for Canaxis, including SaaS revenue growth of 14% to $44.7 million, total revenue growth of 17% to $64.4 million, and adjusted EBITDA margin of 19%. Moving to slide four, we continue to experience tremendous momentum in our business, which will benefit our growth in 2022 and beyond. In Q3, we won more new customers than in any quarter in our history, a notable achievement given that the third quarter is often challenging due to summer vacations, particularly in Europe. Year to date, we have more than tripled new wins compared to the same point last year. We continue to see significant interest in Rapid Start, our accelerated deployment package, 
and a relatively balanced split between mid-market and enterprise wins. I'm also very pleased that we won new customers in six of our seven vertical markets in Q3, once again demonstrating the value that rapid response adds across an incredibly diverse universe of companies and industries. Supply chain issues continue to be at the center of boardroom conversations and the daily news, and we're pleased to be helping companies navigate these complexities. Together, all of this success is reflected in a slightly improved outlook for 2021, which Blaine will discuss, and very strong growth in our annual recurring revenue. Our total ARR stands at $207 million, 23% higher than it was at this time last year. We believe that this metric provides excellent support for our view that the market can support 23 to 25% SaaS revenue growth in the midterm, including next year. On slide five, we're very proud to have released our global impact report in September. While we remain in the early part of our ongoing ESG journey, we are committed to it as a key strategic pillar, including oversight at the board level. In our report, you'll see that we achieved carbon neutrality in 2020. We required that for, roles, for all roles, 30% of candidates presented and 25% of candidates interviewed must be from underrepresented groups. We take care of critical customer data. We were the first Canadian company to receive the German C5 security standard attestation an increasingly important achievement for cloud service providers. We aligned our ESG program with six UN Sustainable Development Goals, and we recently joined the UN Global Compact, which outlines 10 principles that address areas of human rights, labor, environment, and anti-corruption. I hope you'll have a chance to read this report. We're committed to improving our performance every year and believe that Canaxis is a good home for funds that have a particular focus on sustainability. Please reach out to Rick if, you have, if you'd like any, to learn more about our ESG efforts. I'll now ask Blaine to discuss results for Q3. Thank you, John, and good morning. As a reminder, unless noted otherwise, all figures reported on today's call are in U.S. dollars and IRS. Moving on to slide six, total revenue in the third quarter was up 17% to 64.4 million. SaaS revenue grew 14% to 44.7 million, driven by record new customer wins and the expansion of existing customer subscriptions. You may recall that in Q3 of 2020, we were required to accelerate the revenue recognized for one customer, essentially doubling their quarterly amount because they had given us notice that they couldn't renew their subscription when it became due later that year. The customer was taking financial measures to mitigate the impact of COVID on their business. Normalizing for that accelerated revenue recognition, SaaS revenue growth in Q3 of 2021 would have fallen to the 17 to 20% range we expect for the year. So subscription term license revenue grew 93% in the third quarter to $2 million. Fluctuations in this revenue item are generally tied to the normal renewal cycle of our customer-hosted software subscriptions and will vary period-to-period as a result. Our professional service 
services activity was strong gain, resulting in $14.6 million in revenue, or 27% growth over the corresponding quarter of 2020. This revenue varies from quarter to quarter based on the number, size, and timing of customer projects underway, as well as the proportion of work assumed by partners. Maintenance and support revenue for the quarter was $3.1 million, largely in, in line with the result in Q3 of 2020, and reflects the ongoing stability of our base of on-premise customers. We continue to be pleased with the diversity and strength of our total revenue base. For the quarter and year-to-date, our 10 largest customers account for 26% of our total revenues, with no individual customer accounting for greater than 10% of total revenues. Third quarter, gross profit increased by 16% to $42.6 million as a result of our revenue growth, partially offset by investments in headcount and data centers that are helping Canaxis support our ever-increasing base of customers. Gross margin in the quarter was 66%, the same as in Q3 of 2020. Adjusted EBITDA was up 22% to $12.4 million for a margin of 19% compared to 18% in the third quarter last year. We recorded a profit of 0.2 million in the quarter compared to 0.7 million in Q3 of 2020. Q3 cash flow from operating activities was 11.2 million compared to 4.5 million in the third quarter of 2020. At September 30th, 2021, cash, cash equivalents, and short-term investments totaled 240.6 million compared to $213.1 million at the end of 2020. We remain pleased with our outstanding track record of cash generation. Overall, Q3 was a very solid quarter, and we are pleased with the financial results. Now please move to slide 7. Turning to some key metrics, our remaining performance obligation, or RPO, remains strong at $375.8 million, up 3% from September 30th, 2020. Of that total, $358.1 million relates to SaaS business, which represents a 7% increase from the amount in Q3 2020. Despite strong incremental bookings during the quarter, our RPO growth rate was impacted by Q3 21 being in a lower part of the renewal cycle. $48.6 million of our current RPO will be recognized as revenue in the fourth quarter of 2021, of which $45.4 million relates to SaaS business. If you add our fourth quarter of SaaS RPO to our year-to-date SaaS revenue result, you can see that we are in a very good position to end the year within our guidance range. Further details on our RPO can be found in the revenue note to our financials. While a valuable metric, remember that total RPO is impacted by, among other factors, the timing and duration of existing customer contract renewals. ARR is a better indicator of our momentum in winning new businesses, which in turn drives future revenue growth. So now moving to slide eight, we are very pleased that our ARR reached $207 million in the third quarter, a 23% increase over the comparable period of 2020. As we mentioned last call, we fully expect ARR growth to fluctuate slightly between quarters and we view the result in Q3 as another very positive data point in the longer-term trend of accelerated growth in this metric. Generally, we believe that total ARR growth of approximately 20% or higher is a sufficient uh, metric to meet our current midterm objectives. 
I'll also remind you that SAS ARR growth is higher than total ARR growth, generally due to lower growth in the ARR for a relatively small group of on-premise customers. And moving to slide nine, based on our strong performance so far this year, we are able to provide you with updated guidance for fiscal 2021. We now expect total annual revenue to be in the range of 248 to 250 million dollars. SAS revenue growth to be between 17 and 20%, but likely towards the lower end of the range. Subscription term license revenue to be between six and $7 million and an adjusted EBITDA margin of 14 to 16%. Part of the increase in guidance relates to an exciting new customer we won after quarter end, for whom we are delivering rapid response as a SaaS offering from our cloud environment, but who has the option to move on premise. Under I4S 15, revenue from any customer with such an option, even if not being used, has to be recognized under term license accounting. Beyond 2021, we are very confident that the positive trend in our ARR supports our assertion that 23 to 25% SAS revenue growth is a sustainable target over the midterm, including for 2022. We look forward to giving specific guidance ahead. With that, I will turn the call back over to John. Thank you, Blaine. As with earlier quarters in 2021, the real story for CanAccess is the momentum we're seeing with new customers and with the accelerated growth in our annual recurring revenue. Given that Q3 is often a slower quarter due to summer holidays, we were particularly pleased to have won a record number of new customers in that period. More than ever, we're seeing companies understand the urgent need for an end-to-end digital transformation of their supply chains. And increasing numbers are considering the exceptional value CanAccess offers with our entirely unique concurrent planning approach. As always, thank you for taking the time to join us on the call. With that, I'll turn the line over to the operator for Q&A. Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. To ask a question, you may press star than one on your touchtone phone. If you're using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing the keys. And to withdraw your question, please press star than two. And at this time, we'll pause momentarily to assemble our roster. Once again, to ask a question is star than one. And the first question will come from Richard Say with National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. You know, of the rapid start deals you won uh, you know late last year, you know what portion of those uh, have converted into sort of full uh, rapid response deployments? Uh, that's a great question, Rick. Um, of the ones that closed last year, they're live. I mean the, the the rapid start deployment methodology is designed to get customers from uh, you know I'd say sh- shaking hands at the beginning of a of a project to go live inside of 12 weeks, um, and so, and, and in fact, you know, we ha- we've had one customer that was half that time um, to go live, and so we can cont- we continue to to believe that uh, rapid start is a key differentiator, especially during COVID times, where many of our many of our prospects are asking to, you know, as I've said in on other earnings calls like this, lower their temperature, right? You know, lower the fever. 
um, get them to a go-live state. And from that point, it gives them an opportunity to expand. And obviously the thesis is, you know, once you're, once you're live inside of a three-month period, you'll move to an expansion. So the land and expand uh, philosophy is in full swing there. I can tell you that we've already had expansions of those customers that have gone live with the, the initial rapid start deployments. Okay, great. And my just uh, other question would be, you know, no doubt the sector's clearly benefiting for, for obvious reasons here. Has there been any sort of change um, sort of in the competitive landscape in terms of like maybe the tactics that are being used by your competitors? You know, is it sort of pricing, like any change in the environment from that perspective? Uh, no meaningful changes uh, that we're seeing. We continue to see, um, you know, SAP is the is the dominant incumbent. Um, you know, uh, you know that that really hasn't changed. And and honestly, I think the the Gartner Magic Quadrant did a great job in showing, you know, where the competitors, um, you know, sort of fall. And uh, you know, I will say that we continue to compete on technique first. You know, most of our prospects, if not all of them, are, you know, are, are using words like resilience as, um, you know, as a motivation for transforming their supply chains. And, and of course, we remind them that resilience isn't a competence. It's an outcome of a competence. The competence they're looking for is agility. And agility is achieved by adopting a concurrent planning technique as a foundation. And that narrative continues to, to play exceptionally well with chief, chief supply chain officers. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. The next question will come from Thanos Moschopoulos with BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Uh, John, just to give us a bit of a flavor for it, um, what proportion of new bookings would you say are rapid start at this point? Is it kind of 50-50 or, or is it trending even higher than that? Um, if, if we look at, you know, since the start of, uh, of the program, I'd say, you know, without having a specific percentage in mind, I'd say that's, that's roughly 50-50. This past quarter, uh, I'd say, was a little more um, on the traditional enterprise, um, you know, traditional enterprise deployment. But make no mistake, Rapid Start continues to be, um, you know, a healthy portion of, um, you know, of net new wins. More importantly, they're driving a healthy uh, portion of our pipeline. Uh, it's, it's uh, as a lead-in, um, generating a lot of interest. And how does this play in with the partner channel? I, I, I think one of the premises is that uh, Rapid Start is maybe a bit easier for a partner to sell than you know a, a large enterprise deal. I mean, is that accurate? And what are you seeing in that regard? Yeah, absolutely. We continue to you know partners continue to um, to be um, heavily involved in our in our sales cycle, um, and and so obviously they've you know we're training them on the Rapid Start uh, methodology. Um, and they continue to influence the majority of net new wins as they, you know, as they uh, have in the in past quarters. Uh, but absolutely, they're, you know, they're um, the partner ecosystem, if you will, are wrapping their arms around this this uh, this protocol. And then finally, um, OpEx was a little later than I was expecting. Um, can you speak to the hiring environment? Um, is that proving to be a, an impediment uh, to growth in any way, or are you able to scale uh, headcount as expected? 
Well, so there's, a, there's a number of reasons why our OPEX was a little bit later than, than even we expected. One of those is, is probably not a big surprise to anyone. Travel is, is we're, we expect it to open up, and it is opening up a little bit, but it's not opening up as fast as we expected, and so that's, that's a big one. Um, the Canadian dollar actually helped us out. We're, the FX impact was a, was a tailwind for us over the past quarter, which, which helped us along the way. Now, competition for people and talent wars, it's, it's real, it's, it's out there, and, and people are seeing this um, in the newspapers. We're seeing that from uh, the, the hiring, where we're, we're trying to get a, uh, the people in the doors as fast as possible right now because we see this big opportunity. Um, and we're in a position where uh, we're in a, a bigger fight than probably we've ever seen in our history, just trying to get as many people as we can to uh, fill the seats that we need for our future. Great, thanks. I'll pass away. The next question will come from Robert Young with Canaccord Genuity. Please go ahead. Hi, uh, good morning. Uh, on the, uh, the subterm uh, contract, you gave a little bit of color on that. They get a new customer that has prem option. But it, was that something that might have been pulled forward from 2022? Uh, should we still think of uh, 2022 as as being uh, a strong quarter for perpetual renewals, and would this uh, be a pull forward from that, or have any impact on 2022? Yeah, so it was not a pull forward. Um, this is one of those giving you the secrets. We have one new name account that that uh, we're able to talk about because it did impact our guidance um, to to that degree. Uh, going forward, and we when we look into 2022. I think you should expect that, again, we'll see very strong SaaS adoption. Um, but as, as things happen, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we have a subscription term license uh, deal that comes in as well that could impact our, our numbers. So uh, we didn't foresee this coming. The option uh, came on the table at one point, and we thought it was going to be SaaS uh, that would have been impacting our, uh, our, our go forward over the next number of years. But uh, we're very pleased to have that uh, new customer on board, and they will be a subscription term license um, coming in for Q4. Okay, and then it, it seems from the guidance that Q4 is also going to have a larger contribution from subterm. And so, is that a different client, or is there another dynamic uh, forcing? That? No, the, no. So the the what we were trying to do, and and the whole reason, as soon as you see our our guidance go up for subterm. Um, and you can see where our year-to-date is today, it's almost like uh, telling you right away, we know what that amount is, and it has to do with that one customer that uh, will take up that spot. Okay, and so the, that one customer had an impact on Perpetual in Q3 and Q4? No, it will only be on Q4. So it's, uh, it's a, a Q4 impact, it all comes in. And then the only piece that we'll have is the maintenance support piece that uh, would would obviously on, be ongoing for the uh, for the length of that agreement. Okay, I understand. Okay, so the Q3, the two million in Q3, wasn't a surprise to you. That was more along the lines of what you thought subterm would be. Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay, and then maybe um, just an update on the pipeline. You know, what end markets are strong? I think you said six of seven end markets had uh, customers this quarter. Um, maybe it's just some color there, and I'll pass the line. Yeah, thanks, Rob. So it, it continues to be healthy in, in every region and uh, every vertical market. 
including aerospace and defense, which um, you know in, in previous years uh, were, were I'd say lighter, but the, you know we're seeing a, a, a good, broad, healthy distribution there. Um, and, and again, I think the one thing with this global pandemic, it has put supply chain issues at the center of boardroom conversations. Every board's asking their CEOs, "What are you going to do next time?" And um, and so you know that's what's uh, driving, I'd say, the positive uh, momentum in the in the market. And um, and obviously it continues to give us confidence in that mid midterm target of 23 to 25 percent um, SaaS revenue growth, um, including for 2022. So I'd say you know the you know just in terms of uh, of, of color of the pipeline continues to be strong. Uh, I might add that. Um, it is gaining strength in the mid-market. So you'd say the pipeline is larger relative to last quarter? I mean, it's a summer uh, quarter, so slower maybe, but I was curious if you'd see it up. Yeah, it's, yes, it certainly continues to grow. Um, you know, but more importantly, we have made a you know, very specific decision to target mid-market on purpose. And the result of that effort, which we began – you know, earlier in the year, the result of that effort has uh, more than doubled our TAM. We used to talk about our TAM as being, you know, roughly 3,000, and it is more than double that now in terms of a of uh, target accounts. Not doubled in terms of number of customers, or would you say dollar value as well? Uh, in terms of customers and targets that we go after, you know, earlier uh, we we had our big ideas. 2.0 event, um, you know, in in place of connections. Connections will be um, next early May, um, and we had, you know, I want to say approximately 2,000 people um, registered and a very large number of uh, prospects. And of that prospect list, um, a large portion of that was mid-market. So it's starting to fuel the pipeline, if you will. Um, and so that, you know, I'd say is noteworthy when I look at the, uh, you know, the pipeline, the shape, size, health. Um, it's it's very uniform in geographies. It's very uniform, I'd say, across um, all the verticals. And I, you know, I'm, I'm pointing out aerospace and defense as um, as I did in the, in the last quarter. Um, and and again, the, you know, more noteworthy is is seeing some acceleration in the mid market um, in terms of their interest. In um, uh, in rapid response, the thing I, you know, I would tell you is, you know, we are now we now have absolute proof points that rapid response and rapid start is is a completely viable solution for mid market, and I'd say even the lower end of mid market. It's it's uh, you know obviously the use cases are are um, exceptionally you know exceptionally common. Um, whether you're sub 500 million in revenue, or you know over 100 billion in revenue, so so we're obviously pleased that you know with a singular product we can um, we can satisfy the needs of so many different verticals and now proof points that you know it's not just for enterprise. Um, this could be for you know. Uh, the mid market, and so I, you know, I think we're going to continue to see a growth in the TAM as as we roll this out. Okay, thanks for all that. Thanks, Rob. The next question will come from Stephanie Price with CIBC. Please go ahead. 
Hey, good morning. I just wanted to, to focus in on, on RPO. Um, so by our calculation, the RPO, or backlog coverage of the SAS guidance, is lower this quarter versus a year ago. Just curious if you could talk a bit about how you see that RPO coverage of the SAS guidance and, and any puts and takes there in the quarter. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good question. And there's a good reason why we started uh, showing ARR, um, because it shows a smoother trajectory of where our business is going and gives a good opportunity to help people understand what the health of our business is today. RPO, um, although I, I believe it's important for the longer term uh, view of, of where we're going, there, there are some issues with, uh, with for our business uh, that renewal cycles, as an example, could be high or low in a particular quarter. We've just gone through two low quarters for renewal cycles where uh, there's no businesses that were that were up they were they were uh, in the middle of their their current contract and so there's no reason for a renewal to come up um, and when we have those big um, those big increases like we did in q3 of 2020 um, it's just as misleading as when we have a lower renewal cycle uh, that we've just gone kind of gone, gone through so if, if you see a 45 percent increase in in our uh, in our backlog, or if you see a three percent year-over-year increase, we know that that's wrong. I, I kind of look back at our RPO and I look at the last three years. We've had a CAGR of around 24 percent. That's actually very very close to what our ARR growth is is at right now, that 23 percent number. So, um, although RPO I think is a good long-term view of a company, the issues that that we have is that if you have a low renewal cycle, it wouldn't really show in the the year-over-year growth. Uh, metrics. Okay, that's helpful, Colin. Thanks. And then, in terms of the traditional enterprise sales cycle, just curious how supply chain disruptions are impacting that. Whether you know clients are more focused on dealing with near-term disruptions, and so they're focused on rapid start, or are you seeing you know clients that are willing to engage in, in kind of that traditional enterprise uh, rollout? It's a, it's a great question, and I, I spoke a little bit about this during the last earnings call, uh, where our thesis was, uh, you know, dramatically reducing the overall risk uh, and to some degree cost of entry into a concurrent planning foundation. Um, the, you know, the rapid start deployment live inside of a single quarter, uh, we would, at least the thesis was, we would see some um, shrinking of the overall sales cycle. I can tell you that we are we are seeing that, um, particularly in the mid-market, uh, on the mid-market front. It's not uniform, I would say, um, you know, in terms of it being systemic. We've had, you know, one net new account happen, um, it's, well, I would measure it in weeks, not, not months. Um, so in, in some cases, we've seen that acceleration. And, uh, and even um, enterprise, I will tell you, even very large enterprise accounts have great interest in going live inside of 12 weeks. And so we've done rapid starts. You know, I think it's really important for everybody to hear that our rapid start philosophy, our deployment methodology to get someone live inside of 12 weeks is not just a mid-market message. That narrative plays exceptionally well for large uh, enterprises knowing in advance that they will expand they you know knowing in advance the point of this exercise is get to a concurrent state as quickly as possible and expand from there 
Thanks for the color. The next question will come from Daniel Chan with TD Securities. Please go ahead. Good morning, guys. I want to dig into the uh, 23 to 25% uh, SaaS growth target you have uh, for next year on the midterm. So if we use that assumption that you got 80% visibility into uh, next year's SaaS revenue, that implies your 2022 backlog um, needs to increase by at least 26 million by uh, by the end of this year. Um, so I don't think you've added 26 million to next year's backlog um, over the last three years. So I'm just wondering what gives you the confidence that you'll be able to do it, or has that 80% visibility guideline changed? Yeah, so again, a good question. It ties back to RPR backlog um, question. So. Uh, we're confident that we're going to be uh, in that range. Um, what you're getting to is the 26 million needs to be added to get to at least a 23% uh, SaaS growth number. Um, as I mentioned, renewal cycles are, are different every every quarter. Um, I would expect that Q4 is going to be a stronger renewal cycle than we've seen probably the last four quarters at least. Um, so based on, on, on what we're seeing for our current pipeline and the incremental bookings that are going to be quite strong in Q4, as well as a stronger renewal cycle than we've seen over the past four quarters, uh, we think we're in a good position to uh, to meet those those requirements to get to the 23 to 25% range. Okay, that's very helpful. Um, and then I want to kind of dig into Rapid Start a little bit. Um, are the I mean, is it safe to say that the average new customer engagement size? is declining due to rapid start. I'm just trying to reconcile the the fact that you guys had a record number of new customer wins this quarter with the lower sequential ARR dollars added. Yeah, so so we license rapid response, um, including for rapid start customers based on number of users, sites, and um, and applications, etc. Uh, I would say, you know, mid-market Mid-market businesses are more likely to have fewer users and sites than enterprise, so so it's it's common to see mid-market accounts uh, with lower subscription amounts. Um, I'll also say that in some cases, rapid start is targeted at a specific region or a specific product family to get them live inside of a, a three-month period, and and the point of rapid start is to land and expand, and so. The thesis here is you might start seeing in quarters looking forward a more balanced percentage split between net new and um, and an expansion of of the deals that we're uh, that we're closing uh, you know right now. So you know that that's the way I would describe it. Um, you know in terms of uh, the effects that Rapid Start has on uh, on the initial bookings. And again, the point of this exercise is you know when we walk into accounts is not to boil the ocean it's to get them live and set inside of a 12 week period and so we we monitor and manage the scope of that to ensure that we're successful that makes sense um last one for me just wondering if the the component or the supply chain shortages uh are having any impact on your ability to source servers or is there excess server capacity at the moment that has not been, um, you know, that has not been a constraint on our on our business. Great, thank you. Great, thanks. 
The next question will come from Paul Treiber with RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Um, thanks very much, and good morning. Um, just wanted to ask about renewals versus new customer wins and new business. You know, generally, what's been the mix uh, in terms of RPO between you know renewals, uh, if you can give an average, uh, between renew- uh, renewals and, and new business? Uh, and, and just to clarify, this past quarter, did you mention that there was zero renewals in, in RPO? Good question, uh, Paul. So um, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll clarify the, the last part. No, so there's there were renewals. They just aren't as large as some of the renewals that we've seen in over the past. Um, uh, but we, we, we what we are seeing is we've had a fantastic year for incremental bookings. So new name accounts have been off the charts for us. Yeah, that's why we keep on saying record, record, record over the last four quarters. Um, what we have seen is uh, probably the last four quarters are just hit a trough in our renewal cycle. And we had uh, three of those four quarters were definitely some of our lowest renewal cycles that we, we expect in, in the, uh, the near future. Um, and what we've seen historically. So we're coming out of that, I'd say that trough, and we're going to start seeing the renewals uh, coming a little bit more as those contracts become due. But um, we're pretty pleased. I, I think part of the reason why we've been able to stay uh, at least stable with our backlog is, is primarily because we've had such strong incremental bookings, which we we like. And I, 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 I again, I point in the direction of ARR, the 23% year-over-year growth is because of those incremental bookings being so strong. Um, but uh, right now, the vast majority of what we've seen over the past four quarters, at least, has been incremental bookings growth uh, to, uh, to to increase the RPO with small, smaller renewals because just the contracts aren't due yet. And, and so uh, another way to say it, or if I can characterize it this way, is that Renewals for the last several quarters have been below the historical average, whereas new new business has been above the historical average as a percent of RPO. That that's correct. Um, now that was that was changed based on like when contracts become due, and um, I think over the next the next year we're gonna have a lot of contracts that are starting to come due at, at, that that will start um, evening that out a little bit. But we're in a great position because we're focused on the incremental bookings and. If we look down the road in three or four or five years, they will now be the renewals that we uh, that we expect. And as a, a SaaS company with a really sticky solution, um, we love the renewals. The renewals are, are something that are bread and butter for for uh, saying there's a very very strong uh, position that they were they're going to renew and um, will bring that revenue and that RPO even higher than it is right now. Switching gears to land and expand, uh, what's been the typical rate of expansion for existing customers, and do you see the magnitude of potential expansion higher for Rapid Start or the the mid market, or maybe another way of asking it is, are the is the initial deal size for Rapid Start and mid market smaller than than typical? Yeah, so. Um... Any any customer starting with Rapid Start with the intent of expanding will typically start at a lower than previous, you know, our previous, uh, you know, offering, if you will, prior to Rapid Start, they'll start at a lower point. And again, the point is to reduce the risk. 
get to go live inside of a three-month period and expand after that point. So I'd say the, the, the variance between starting point and ending point, while we don't forfeit total lifetime value of a customer, is very important, the, the span between their starting point and their ending point leveraging rapid start might be wider. That would be a reasonable assumption to make, as opposed to, you know, somebody who's starting without rapid start going, you know, um, you know full enterprise um, at the start. And again, you know, I think um, it's still relatively early days. I, you know, we're, we're wildly excited about this program because we're seeing, we're seeing it work based on the thesis we had for it. It's working, and we're, it's just wonderful to see the adoption and the interest, um, as you would expect when you tell a chief supply chain officer, you know, shake my hand, you'll be live inside of 12 weeks. That's, that's pretty dramatic during a global pandemic, and, um, and so that's been, uh, it's been great to see, to see that, and more importantly, it's been great to see the, you know, the rapid start early adopters that have already gone live have already expanded. We're seeing the expansion of, of um, of that activity. So it's working exactly as planned. Just one last one for me. You mentioned the ESG in your prepared remarks. To what degree do you think ESG initiatives, uh, global ESG initiatives, are driving demand for products like rapid response? And, and to what degree do you think rapid response, from a planning perspective, uh, can help companies in their, in their um, ESG, well, particularly on the environmental side, like with carbon, um, can can it help them better manage um, their footprint? Oh, do I love this question. Um, there is no question now. Um, well, there's a few things I will say. There's the recognition that there isn't another craft on the planet. There's not another discipline on this planet that has a more pro pronounced impact on the health of the world, the health of the environment. You can't run supply chains without consuming the Earth's natural resources, full stop. And with, with boards now recognizing that the E in ESG um, you know, can be dramatically improved, if you will, you can dramatically improve the, the state of the environment by becoming hyper agile in your supply chain. It, it's absolutely part of the narrative. It's certainly part of the narrative I have with every single conversation with a chief supply chain officer. There's absolutely a recognition that concurrency leads to agility. Agility leads to resilience. Re resilience leads to efficiency and a lack of waste, right? Elimination of waste. That is absolutely the narrative. Uh, so it is not just about business anymore. Supply chains have often focused entirely on the financial measurement, on time in full, inventory turns, forecast accuracy, period ending inventory, a lot of financial terms associated with supply chain. And now it's environmental footprint. You know, I, I need to make sure that I run my supply chain in the most you know, efficient manner possible, the smallest footprint possible. So I, I love the questions, great. Thank you, I'll pass on. Thank you. The next question will come from Christian Grill with 8 Capital. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. It feels like each quarter partners influence more and more of the, of the pipeline and the wins. I was just wondering if you had any commentary on 
some of the inbounds you're seeing, some of the traction quarter to date, and efforts from the direct sales effort? Well, it's uh, it continues to you know to me that's that's uh, somewhat of a, a pipeline kind of a, a question, and and our pipeline continues to be very strong, and couple that with what may become a trend in shrinking life cycle uh, total uh, sales cycle uh, has us obviously very excited. Um, you know, on, as as it relates to our partners, you know, some of you may have witnessed this on. On a recent Twitter feed, we've just surpassed 7,500 accreditations that have been um, that have been uh, distributed to to outside parties, outside individuals for certifications. Um, you know, we continue to add significant number of partners. Uh, I didn't mention this actually, but it's worthwhile mentioning as it relates to our partners. Um, I believe we're now north of 10 solution extension partners, which we're exceptionally excited about. This is, you know, solution extension partners, think of it as an, an extension of our, our own R&D factory, right? We're no longer the bottlenecks for innovation. Third parties can extend rapid response and, and add their own intellectual property, similar to what you might see with force.com and the impacts that has on Salesforce. Um, and so, you know, we uh, we announced, in fact, Levadata as one of them um, this quarter, and there's others we're, you know, hoping to be able to uh, to share with you in the coming um, in the coming weeks. But you know, I'd say the the partner uh, influence continues to be a strategic part of our business. We recognize that we cannot sustain the level of growth continued, you know, quarter over quarter without help of partners. Right, they're in every geography that matters. It's, it's uh, you know, it's it's harnessing an army basically, and so we're really thrilled with the progress we're making there. That's great, Tyler. And thinking on the sales pipeline, when you comment on visibility into SaaS growth um, and expansion into 2022, when you talk about your pipeline. Do you think of your own go-to-market efforts, or do you incorporate a lot of what your partners are saying, you know, into that commentary that your pipeline's as strong as ever. Well, yeah, the answer is both. Absolutely, we we continue to have um, a very strong presence on the street, uh, just within within Canaxis, and certainly our our sales, our our field operations team, our sales team work uh, hand in glove with our with our partners, particularly on the larger uh, enterprise deals where. You know, I'd, I'd say that you know the larger partners have trusted advisor relationships with many of those firms. So I, you know, I, I don't have a specific percentage at the top of my head, um, other than to say that it's quite rare, if ever, I, I hear of a, a deal that we're working on where a partner isn't directly engaged in influencing the activities. Okay, that's very helpful. And one more question from my end the rapid start versus rapid response area we've been digging into uh, on the call. It sounds like customers will join enterprise customers on the rapid start program uh, with the plan, a communicated plan to expand to rapid response over time. Now it might be early to comment, but I guess it's something that's not put in print, but, but near formalized. And is that a, a 12 month timeline that you would expect or more for them to expand? Like how do they approach that conversation and the plans to get to the full rapid response solution. 
So, so first I want to just clarify um, that Rapid Start is a deployment methodology, not a product. The Rapid Start is a 12-week deployment uh, methodology of rapid response. It is absolutely the same software being deployed um, using, you know, um, in, I'd say industry best practices. And so, so that, that's very important to, to, to articulate. Rapid Start is an implementation methodology to get rapid response, the product, go, to go live inside of a three-month um, three horizon, and as I said, in some cases, significantly less than that. In terms of the speed at which um, we see uh, an acceleration or, a, or a, an expansion opportunity, I, as I said, I'm, I'm thrilled to see that the early adopters um, that you know within that cohort we have seen expansion already. I think it'll it'll depend based on um, you know each one of these accounts. I don't believe there are you know I'd say um, statistically enough cases here for me to make a prediction. Although I will say that the the thesis is holding. The point of rapid start is to get someone live inside of a 12-week window and expand their maturity from there. Whether they expand a quarter later, two quarters later, three quarters later, there's a lot of dependencies there, um, you know, based on individual customers and also geographies and uh, verticals. We're tracking that, but it's too early to suggest, um, you know, an understanding of, of that ratio. That's great, John. Thanks for clarifying, and thanks for taking my questions. Thank you. The next question will come from Nick Augustino with Lornshin. Bank Securities, please go ahead. Uh, yes, uh, good morning. I guess um, just to revisit a couple of uh, topics from the past, maybe, John, can you talk about RubaCloud, where where you are today as far as integration into the whole rapid response, and um, if you've had any cross-sell successes um, over the last couple of quarters? We are in absolute full swing um, here. As, as I mentioned in the last uh, quarter, integrating in the, uh, the elements, the technologies of RubaCloud and, and you know, fully adopting them within the, um, the rapid response environment. So that is in absolute full swing. We're working this year in preparation of, um, of launching proper, if you will, the, the retail use cases next year. Um, have we had successes already? Absolutely. Um, you know, we have retail customers now. We've had successes in retail uh, recently. And so it continues, you know, it can, the thesis behind that acquisition continues to hold. Uh, and we're, we're certainly thrilled with the talent. Um, Carrie Liu, who was their CEO, um, continues to, to work on the, on the management team. He's an absolutely exceptional exceptionally gifted contributor, I will say that. And if I could just, on top of that uh, response, I appreciate, how much is, um, when you look at the SaaS growth the guidance for, for next year and beyond, are you guys incorporating some of the successes when, when you say the retail use case is for next year or, or any success you get on that uh, retail success uh, use case, is that going to be just gravy on top of what you guys are seeing so far for 2022? Well, I would say it's part and parcel of our go-to-market strategy. Uh, you know, you, you know, our 
our intention is obviously to have a viable, defensible um, solution for that market. We have proof points already. We've won business already, and we're working to expand those use cases. So it's part and parcel of our go-to-market strategy um, for 2022 and beyond. Um, obviously, I will say, uh, and I didn't mention this earlier, so I should mention it now, we, con- we continue to see you know, probably the warmest Verticals are still life sciences. No surprise, actually, during a pandemic that you might see that. Uh, you know, life sciences and consumer packaged goods, which again we're seeing, you know, a lot of different buying patterns in in that particular space, and so those tend to be the warmest. You know, again, notwithstanding my my earlier comments that, um, you know, we're seeing a a very uh, well uniformed. Um, pipeline. Uh, I, th- I think I said that last quarter that you know the pipeline looked quite uniform across geographies and across market verticals. Uh, last last quarter, I wasn't able to say six of the seven verticals uh, saw some some success uh, in a quarter, and so you know it's it's manifesting as the as the pipeline would suggest. Uh, hopefully, that answers your question. Yeah, I appreciate that. And just one more for me. Um, I know in the past, and I, I want to say it was about two years ago when you launched the initiative, the idea of the, the self-healing um, attributes that you were going to incorporate within rapid uh, ra- rapid response. Can you maybe just talk about, um, I guess, what's been the adoption of, of those self-healing uh, attributes over the course of the last couple of years? Uh, what penetration you've seen amongst your existing customer base? Yeah, yeah, we've absolutely had success uh, leveraging that um, that technology as as part of the machine learning team, uh, as you know, as a skew coming out of the machine learning team. And you know, there's there's certainly a continuation in the product lifecycle for that specific uh, capability. Um, You know, that team is also involved in. Um, merging, if you will, the technologies of RubiCloud and the technologies of, of self-healing and demand sensing um, and areas of that uh, of that nature. So we're we're pleased with the progress that we're uh, that we're having with the, the overall machine learning strategy um, that we launched a couple of years ago. And and frankly, I think um, you know over the next couple of years we're going to start to see as an emerging use case, and, and we're seeing evidence of this emerging use case where organizations want to automate the obvious. They want to take 80% of the transactions that are required to run a supply chain and automate them safely. And, and so we're, uh, you know, we're looking very hard at that capability at the moment. Okay, great. Thank you. The Thank next you. question will come from Martin Toner with ATB Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for taking my question. Um, can you share a few anecdotes uh, about the early progress on um, uh, upselling rapid uh, start uh, deployment into uh, you know the the full version? Like what's um, the, okay, so know, again, I yeah, I I will say you know rapid start is a deployment methodology of the full version of rapid response. So don't, you know, I wouldn't want um, there to be uh, a thought that rapid start is somehow a subset of the 
total capabilities of rapid response. In fact, the point of rapid start is to apply industry best practices of a fully concurrent environment. So you know, that's, that's the way to think of it. Now, the expansion opportunity often occurs when, you know, someone will say, I want the full sort of concurrent environment. Let's focus on North America only. We'll expand into Europe, Asia, and, and other parts of the world, um, you know, subsequent to our initial go-live. And so, you know, they'll, they'll subscribe to exactly how many sites, users, et cetera, that are required to get to that, uh, to get to that point. Um, so, so think of it that way. Uh, you know, the most common uh, leverage, if you will, of rapid start is, you know, focus on, um, on a specific area. Sometimes it's, a, you know, focus on sales and operations planning as it links to master scheduling, but we'll do inventory later. Right, so let's get a full concurrent system across these these two functions, uh, and we'll expand to other functions later. Uh, but it's it's not a different piece of software. It's exactly the same uh, piece of software. So often, you know, as part of a, a sales cycle, we work to establish what will that journey look like. It's a journey to digital transformation. It's not a boil the ocean. It's a journey following agile methodologies you know, where you iterate and, um, and you progress over a period of time um, you know, to, to ultimately have full concurrency across the entire enterprise. But again, you know, rapid start is a methodology designed to get concurrency as a foundation embedded in an organization within a 12-week period. It, it is often a specific region first with the intent to expand beyond that region later. Sometimes it's all regions but a subset of product families. Uh, and sometimes it is a, you know, it's, it's a um, two or three specific areas of the supply chain with the intent to expand across all areas later. So it's, you know, it's very flexible that way. But again, the point is to focus on the areas of supply chain that are experiencing urgent pain. There's important pain and there's urgent pain. So we, you know, we work with the prospects to ensure that we're attacking the urgent pains first and expanding from that point forward. Hopefully that, that gives you the, uh, some good context um, to your question. Yeah, that was great. And uh, apologize for the awkward wording of the question. Um, oh, no, great. You had it right. Next question is, and this is maybe this is a stupid question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Um, you can't turn around without seeing uh, supply chain disruption in the media. Can you see the impact of that in your pipeline, on your pipeline? Um, well, yes, I think we're seeing the general interest. Absolutely. Um, you know, there's, and, and that was manifested in our big ideas event. Um, you know, we're, we track, we, you know, we track inbound leads and, and, and such. Um, and so absolutely, I think we're seeing the impact of this. People are realizing that the old methodologies to govern supply chains, the, the way supply chains were wired in the past, which were, you know, optimize every chain link one at a time with the assumption that you optimize the chain, that has absolutely been proven to be flawed. And, and so now people are, are coming to us in search of a new and improved technique 
there's a recognition that we cannot be agile leveraging legacy approaches to, to supply chain. Um, and so I, I do think the global pandemic is, um, is, is highlighting that. There's a recognition that, you know, you can't trust all the assumptive parameters that drive all of these optimization technologies can't be trusted. And so, you know, many of the old techniques have, have fallen down. They've, they've just absolutely crumbled and failed. And so, yes, I, I think that this, um, the condition that the entire planet is in is driving what I call a renaissance. I really do believe we are experiencing a renaissance in supply chain planning as, uh, as we speak. Um, that's great. Th thanks so much for that, John. Um, R and D, uh, R and D, the R and D line, um, it kind of ticked up this quarter. Is that, you know, is there anything unusual in there or, or should we just like grow in, in estimates? Should we sort of think of that number just continuing to grow from here? Well, again, it's, it depends how you, how you think we'll grow. We'll continue to hire for our R&D team. Um, obviously, there's uh, a big opportunity that we see, uh, especially what John mentioned with the supply chain renaissance that we're going through. We need to make sure that we're, we're prepared to meet all the, uh, all the needs and all the demand that we're getting from these prospective customers along the way. Um, but as a percentage, and I would, again, I would, I would Think about not as a percentage of revenue because we have the subscription term license um, in there. I would think of it as percentage of ARR. And so think about that as being a stable uh, percentage going forward rather than looking at uh, a total revenue at any point in time, um, just because of the, the volatility that you'll see there. This concludes our question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to Mr. Rick Wadsworth for any closing remarks. Please go ahead. Thank you, everyone, for participating on today's call. We appreciate your questions and your ongoing interest in and support of Canaxis. We look forward to speaking with you again when we report our Q4 2021 results. Thanks, and goodbye. The conference has now concluded. Thank you for attending today's presentation. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.